Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. I'm Bharati Jagdish. Now, supply chain problems became starker during the pandemic. I'm sure you would all agree. Many of us ordered items thinking they would arrive within days, but it might have taken months. COVID-19 lockdowns triggered shifts in demand and labor shortages as well. And the situation brought to light structural problems. Evolving geopolitical factors are now causing new risks and pockets of stress. Affected sectors include metals and mining, chemicals, automotives, semiconductors and technology. And to address supply chain issues, the European Union and ASEAN will be holding a summit for the first time in December to develop supply chains to discuss expanding trade and interest structure assistance. All of this as the EU seeks to strengthen ties with the Asian bloc and to counter Russia and Chinese influence as well. Europe will encourage Southeast Asia to fulfill a major role in the supply chain for the West based on the idea of friend shoring among nations with shared values. But will it work? While the lawmakers are set to meet later in the year, let's talk with Ajit Melakorde, VP of APEC and Japan at Bumi to find out what can be done now as well to help ease supply chain disruptions. Hi, Ajit. Thanks for joining us. Good evening. Thanks for having me. I was just thinking to myself, it's probably very apropos because Bumi means the world in many Asian languages. And here we are talking about how we integrate the world and how we solve supply chain problems. (laughs) You're right about that. I mean, Bumi, at least in Malay, means the world. That much I know, or Earth. And uh, yeah, you're right. It is fitting to a great extent. But I can only imagine a lot of people sitting down, realizing how supply chain disruptions have actually disrupted their lives. And I think all of this became more apparent during the pandemic, right? But we have to remember, all of this isn't over yet. Talk to us about the current bottlenecks that we're seeing and what we can expect going forward, Ajit? Sure. So let me first of all explain the context that I'm coming from. So Bumi is a category-leading SaaS company in the integration platform as a service space. And that, to put, to put it very plainly, just think about it as connecting data, people, devices, applications, anywhere with a click. We've got 20,000 customers, so more than any uh, clients and anyone else in the industry. So we've likely connected whatever supply chain systems or data or companies there are. So that's the angle I'm coming from. So where is the supply chain bottlenecks currently? Are they likely to continue? Unfortunately, I think, yes, they are likely to continue, but they're likely to get better as we progress through this year and get into next year. Uh, There is a global supply chain pressure index. Yes, there is such a thing from the Fed Mm. of New York. And that actually shows that it is beginning to ease. Uh, You know, from a massive peak about six to seven months ago in the midst of COVID, it's now substantially dropped. Uh, So things are very easy. But I would say if you look at all aspects of the supply chain, so, you know, manufacturing, the logistics to get goods to, you know, people is one part of it. But talent, the people to actually maybe work on the supply chain, work on delivering the goods, work on manufacturing, I think that's still got a bit to go. Mm. Let's talk about that in a moment. But I want to take a step back. When the supply chain disruption started to become very, very stark, it was pointed out by experts in the industry that one of the big reasons for the disruptions was that a lot of the companies in the sector were not moving with the times. They were still working with pen and paper, and that was slowing things down even further. To what extent has that been fixed? I would say it's been fixed substantially, but you know, things are not 100% done ever. 
Uh, in fact, we ran a, a survey, uh, you know, in, within ASEAN, within a number of, you know, leading companies to see what the state of digital transformation specifically was, including supply chain companies. Uh, a lot, of, it's, it's, a, it's a normal distribution. A lot of companies are ahead. A lot of companies are behind. But one of the things that came out is digitalization is about converting existing processes to bits and bytes along with the cultural change to execute that well. So you can't give someone who's always had an analog phone, a smartphone, and, and say, hey, here you go. So I think that's still missing in a lot of companies. They see digital transformation as maybe a project for IT, whereas it needs to be a, a project for all of the business led by the very top. I don't think that's embedded across the region you know, very well. The second thing is integral to digital transformation is sort of vision plus ability to execute. So if I look at ourselves as a company, I mean, we've been rated, uh, you know, a Gartner Magic Quadrant for eight years in a row because we had the vision and we could execute. Again, I see a little bit of disparity there. So there's a lot of companies that we see who have a clear vision, but maybe not the ability to execute. And if I give you an example of that, Singapore versus other regions maybe have handled the data on supply chain bottlenecks very differently. Singapore has been very proactive and that has led to its airports, its transportation sectors, its supply chains being a lot more ready than maybe other parts of the world to which you know the supply chain recovery and the travel recovery has sort of come as a bit of a surprise. So I would say if we look at digital transformation and we separate it into, hey, who has the vision and who has the ability to execute with the cultural transformation that goes with it, I think it's in the latter bucket that, you know, some folks may still be lagging. You said earlier that clearly things have improved since the early days of COVID-19. Aside from digitalization, what has powered these improvements? So I guess, yeah, you're absolutely right there. I guess digitalization is only, you know, one part of, uh, you know, the solution. The other parts is, look, there have been some geopolitical changes. I think some of the bottlenecks that have uh, been there in place on the back of these geopolitical changes and I mean, I'm not a politician or a diplomat, so I'll, I'll provide the you know, view with that context. So there were disruptions to ports, uh, you know, based on you know, not the European capacity. There were disruptions to you know, rail freight because of, uh, again, rail capacity from China headed west. There were disruptions to airline cargo capacity because certain routes were disrupted over airspace that was closed. I think all of that is easing a lot. Some people also talk about the great resignation, Bharti. Uh, I, you know, in talking to customers, we as a company and I personally find that equally important is the great border shutdown, which has meant that talent flow between regions has been highly constrained. Now, we're finding that a lot of that is easing. A lot of talent across multiple sectors is flowing better. There are people in, you know, the emergency sectors, people who work in ports, people who work in travel and transportation, who can't do their jobs digitally. The flow of that talent has you know, improved a lot. The flow of training and enablement of that talent, especially in transport hubs, you know, that has changed a lot. Uh, and I think there's been you know, a, a, a rebound in all of those activities in the largest markets. For example, in the US, there's been a big rebound in labor force reabsorption, training, et cetera. So while digitalization has paid, played a large part, I think some controllable forces such as talent, uh, you know, absorption, talent training, 
as well as some, you know, uncontrollable forces such as geopolitical forces have, you know, been slightly better over the last six to seven months, despite, uh, you know, the big moves. So moving forward, what are the controllable forces that we need to bear in mind and to work on further in order to ensure that whenever there are geopolitical changes and upheavals, our supply chains aren't disrupted or that we can mitigate the impact on supply chains at least? That's a great question. I mean, and who would have thought, you know, just two years ago that a tiny organism would have brought all of us, you know, down Mm. to our knees and what, you know, the kind of role that prominent vaccine companies would play. play. I mean, Moderna, for example, is is a customer of ours. Eddie Stobart, which is one of the logistics, largest logistics companies in Europe, is a customer. Um, you know, Nazi Ports, which is one of those, you know, port areas that I mentioned, you know, as a customer. Scoot Airlines here in Singapore, you know, more locally as a customer. So, you know, we talk to a lot of our customers. We see what's happening there. So first of all, I'd say, you know, the old Donald Rumsfeld adage of we don't know what we don't know. So you mentioned geopolitical forces there, but put your mind back to the recent past where just a simple thing like a large container ship blocking the Suez Canal brought supply chain you know, to its knees. Yeah. So one of the things we can control, however, Bharti, is the quality of our data. I mean, there's lots of companies which have data in multiple silos. They've got fragmented systems. We talked about digital uh, digitalization a short while ago. There is no digitalization without integration first, and there's no integration without sorting your data first. And I see a lot of companies not being prepared for the next shock or the next ship being stuck in the canal in terms of, I find a lot of companies still chasing jargon, Mm. chasing fancy terms in the back of an airline pocket in a magazine, and not questioning, hey, what is this technical jargon solved versus what business problem am I solving? Uh, So we need to get away from that. We need to get to the core of what we're trying to solve for customers here. We need to get to the data. I often like to say, uh, if I may use a, a personal quote, You know, we talk about servers a lot in IT. People talk about servers, but forget a server is just a person or thing that serves. Mm. It's all about ultimately serving our customers and delighting our customers. If we start backwards from there, getting the right data, breaking down data silos, integrating systems together to serve our customers versus chasing jargon or, or leaving prominent, you know, transformation projects just to IT, I think that would be a starting point to have the right data in place, anticipate the future, game and solution different, uh, you know, worst case scenarios using, you know, digital models rather than having to go through the pain in real life. Mm, That's a good point. But when you talk about having the right data in place, what would qualify as the right data in this context? That's a great question. And that's a question that many, you know, people, many boards are, are grappling with. Data exists in so many different systems. Data exists in so many different formats. Data is accessed by so many different you know, people. So as I say, the simplest way to approach this is to start with the customer always and look at what is the end customer outcome that we're trying to enable and what is the best data to suit that. So if I make that very, very contextualized, let's mm. say to one, one part of the supply chain. So let's take travel and transportation. So, you know, when I go to an airport, when you go to an airport, I presume, I mean, you probably pay with your credit card, you know, want to have a good cup of coffee while waiting for your, you know, flights. I mean, Amex, you know, on, on, in cards is a customer of Boomi, you know, Lavazza Coffee is our customer. All we're looking for at the end of the day is a good cup of coffee and a card that's easy to use and works. 
Whereas if you go into an airport, I can bet you that while you're sitting in your taxi, you'll be bombarded with loyalty schemes for the taxi provider. Mm. While you're at the airport, you have loyalty schemes off the airport. After you cross the immigration, you'll be bombarded with loyalty schemes from the you know, duty-free provider. And then probably more from a brand in the duty-free. All the while, all you want to do is try to make it for your flight and look for something that's really, really relevant instead of being bombarded by 10 different loyalty programs. So maybe the question for each of these players to ask right at the onset is, what is it that the customer journey looks like? What is, the, what is going through the customer's mind as they go through the airport? Are they looking for flight info or are they looking for a loyalty program update? And if you work backwards from that, you know what the right data you need for that is. And then you have any number of solutions, including ours, to point you to where is the data coming from, who's accessing it, is it secure, what's the quickest way to extract it, and how do you fulfill your end customer you know, requirements? I would say always start with the customer. That's where we've all got to start. And speaking of customers and what younger consumers especially are demanding these days, they want businesses to be environmentally sustainable. And I know that a lot of people, players in the supply chain industry, are looking to decarbonize. Uh, Many of them have already started doing that. But this is a massive task involving a lot of entities. What's your perspective on how quickly this is moving, this aspect of supply chains? Yeah, I mean, sure, that's something that we all got to pay attention to, especially, you know, given that my company's name is, you know, the name of the earth or the world, though we mean the world. So we're especially conscious of that. So if I can talk about it very generally at a high level and then get to the very specifics that you've addressed there. In general, I think going digital by definition means more sustainability in terms of paper not being used, wasteful physical journeys not being made, better planning with better data. I'm I'm sorry to keep coming back to data, but better data just drives better everything, including better sustainability. Going to cloud, for example, as part of digital versus using your own DCs, that's pooling of resources. That's being, you know, able to generate more efficiency. Third thing, using things like, you know, our integration platform or integration platforms in general is better than spending thousands of man hours and millions of lines of code to do your own integrations. The fourth theme I would keep in mind from a sustainability perspective is doing your own thing, which is not your core competence versus leaving it to someone else for whom it is a core competence. So, for example, across the supply chain, you can outsource a lot of activities to people whose core competence it is. Just, uh, you know, similar to my integration example, where integration, you know, is pretty much our bread and butter. We've got, you know, 20,000 plus customers, 100,000 plus community. I think, you know, companies would be better off leaving it, you know, for example, to us to do integration, to a hyperscaler to do cloud, rather than trying to do it themselves. I've seen a lot of customers say, hey, you know, we kind of gave this project to someone else and now we're taking it back in-house because it didn't work. I'd like to, you know, provide them with the feedback that maybe that's because you didn't pick the right provider rather than you as a player in shipping or airports or airlines is better off spending your time doing integration or digital transformation, which is, you know, probably not a core competence as such. The third bucket that I talk about, Bhati, is also, you know, looking at the circular economy which is a way of leasing, reusing assets, designing for longevity, designing for easy repair, et cetera. Again, you can't do that without having the right data at the very core because robust, timely, quickly actionable data is at the very core of the circular economy that a lot of our prominent you know, supply chain you know, customers are talking about. Because ultimately, you know, to your point, 
If you want to certify yourself as a sustainably sourced product company or as a supply chain company, you want to certify as, hey, you're, a, you know, you're, you're transporting things you know, uh, sustainably, you can't do that without you know, the right data. And, and who knows what you'll discover through that data. You know, to give you an example, there was a very prominent mining company that's a customer of ours, global mining company. Uh, they used our platform to find out who's accessing the data on their customers at which points, and through that, actually discovered that there was a cyber attack going on in their company. So I keep going back to this point on whatever your end outcome, including sustainability, you've got to have clean data at the end of the day. Now, we mentioned friend-shoring earlier, Ajit. Now, this can be tricky. I mean, countries, of course, need to consider their geopolitical interests in all of this. For example, the U.S.'s efforts recently to friend-shore chip-making supply chains. It has to consider that China already has a foothold among America's other Asian allies, and these entities may not want to risk their relationship with China. How do you see the friend-shoring dynamic actually shaping up as we move forward? forward yeah i mean ultimately as i said i'm not a i'm not a diplomat or a politician i think uh, sure countries countries are best served uh, you know looking after their you know policies that best serve themselves i'm sure every country looks after you know their own interests um i think if i take that down to a microcosm and look at the you know sum total of companies that make up a country um i think that's kind of more interesting to me and i find that a lot of you know companies again are taking you know the, the decisions that best fit their interests. So if they want to drive the best outcomes for their companies, they need to weigh up um, what that action is. Thanks very much for that, Ajit. Ajit Melakorde, VP of APEC and Japan at Boomi. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.